you have your Bibles, open them please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This morning we're continuing in a sermon series entitled, A Church Looking for Jesus. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians were written by the Apostle Paul. They were letters that he wrote to a church in Thessalonica, challenging that church to understand Bible prophecy, Jesus is coming again, and challenging that church to practically take what they know prophetically and to begin to live it out. It's not just about the things to come, it's about the things that we ought to be doing. We don't want to be so heavenly minded of the return of Christ that we're no earthly good down here. And so 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are practical in their prophetic. Now in the section we're at this morning and we will be in tonight, the Apostle Paul is talking about practical Christian living. If you and I believe that Jesus is coming again, if that's what you believe, then it ought to affect how you behave. And this morning he's going to give us some specific things that we should be behaving while we believe in. While we, what we should be living while we're looking. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning with verse 16. He says, rejoice evermore. If you believe Jesus is coming again, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not the teachings or the preachings or the prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace, may he sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me begin with a little survey. How many of you are Carolina fans? Die in the wool Gamecocks. Raise your hand. Keep them up just a moment. We want to see who that may be. Okay. God bless you brave souls. <laughs> how many of you, <laughs> how many of you are die in the wool Clemson fans? Tiger fans? Number one team in the nation fans? Raise your hand. Okay. Keep them up just a moment. We want to look at you. Even Sam's a tiger today. All right, you can put him down. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you could care less about any of it? Raise your hand. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, ladies, so much. <laughs> well, the reason I took that survey is because I, I heard the story about a Carolina and Clemson fan. Now, both of them had their paraphernalia on, their jacket and their shirts, identifying them as such. And they were put together just by coincidence, just by accident, just incidentally perhaps. They were put together, sitting together, right next to one another on the same flight. And the Carolina fan took the initiative, turned to the Clemson fan and said, listen, this is a long flight. 
we're going to have a lot of time to spend together. May I suggest that we play a game? The Clemson fans said, I don't believe I want to play any games. I would just like to go ahead and take a nap. I, I want to rest a little bit. The Carolina fans said, but wait a minute. This game I propose that we play, you could win some money. I could win some money. It's kind of a gambling game, if you will. And I'll tell you what, if you'll play the game with me, I'll tilt the odds in your favor. I'll fix the game where you have a chance to win far more than I can. Clemson fan says, okay. Carolina fan says, this is the way it works. I'm going to ask you a question. And if you can't answer the question, you have to give me $5. And then you can ask me a question. And if I can't answer the question, I'll give you $50. That, that's a pretty good deal. Clemson fan says, okay, ask me a question. Carolina fan says to him, how many feet are in a mile? How many feet are in a mile? Now the Clemson fan thinks a little bit, but he cannot come up with the answer. He says, I don't know. The Carolina fan says, 5,280 feet are in a mile. I'll take your $5, please. Now it's time for the Clemson fan to ask a question. And his question to the Carolina fan is, what goes up a hill on three legs and comes down a hill on four legs? That's the question. What goes up a hill on three legs but comes down the hill on four legs? Well, the Carolina fan thinks and thinks and thinks. He finally says, I don't know. And the Clemson fan says, that'll be $50, please. And so the Carolina fan gives him $50. And there's a little bit of silence. And the Carolina fan says, well, wait a minute. What's the answer to that question? Clemson fan says, I don't know. Here's another $5. <laughs> <laughs> Now, some of you are going like this. You're clueless. Others of you are waiting to go to sleep. But before you get lost in the story and before you start snoring, I want you to listen to the message this morning. Because the Apostle Paul doesn't want us to be clueless and he doesn't want us to be sleeping on what we need to be doing when Jesus is about to come. And so we're going to give you some things this morning that I hope will challenge you and bless you, that we might be all that we need to be to a world out there as we await the coming of our Savior. Now, I'm going to give you four things this morning, and I'm going to give you the other four this evening. This is a part one and part two message. So if you don't come back tonight, you'll only have half of it, okay? So I know you'll come back. All right. Let's look at those four things very quickly that we're going to talk about this morning. First of all, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica and to those believers there, he says, if Jesus is coming again, and he is, then we need to rejoice evermore. In other words, we need to be joyful. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what's the difference in being happy and being joyful? Is there a difference? Well, sometimes the way we use the words, you would think not. Because many times we use the words happiness and joyfulness kind of interchangeably, and I guess that's okay. But actually, the two words are far different. Let me explain to you. Happiness is a feeling. A feeling on the inside that's based on circumstances on the outside. Happiness is a feeling that's on the inside of you that is based on favorable circumstances or good situations on the outside of you. Happiness is based on what's going on around you. That determines what will go on inside of you. Now, happiness is not something that you can keep. It comes and goes. It's up and it's down. Okay? Because, listen to me. Happiness is based on feelings. And all of us have feelings. Some of us more than others. But feelings... Do they not come and go? Sure they do. One day you feel up here. One, the next day you feel down here. One day you have a lot of feelings and you boo-hoo. Another day you might have no feelings and be very stoic. So feelings come and go. And because feelings come and go, happiness comes and goes. And we also know that life is not always good. Life is not always favorable. And if happiness is based on favorable situations and good circumstances, then when that's not taking place, we're not going to have any happiness. So happiness is all about feeling that's controlled by outward things that we cannot control. Joy is different. Joy is not a feeling. It's a state of being. And it comes from the presence of a living God inside of us. It's not based on outward things. It's based on the inward one who lives in us. Joy comes from Jesus. Do you understand that? And because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's the same in the past, the present, and the future our joy does not ever have to change. We can be going on through the mountain or we can be going through the valley. It can be good, it can be bad. But joy can always be with us. Because joy is not subject to what's going on around us. It's subject to the one that's in us. And that one loves us. And he cares for us. And he rules over our lives to make sure that the good and perfect things that he desires will be accomplished. As the coming of Christ draws near, we need to have joy. They have happiness out there. And they're frustrated and aggravated with it because you can't keep it. But we have joy in we have the presence of a living God in us. We have his peace. We have his hope. Yes, we have his joy. 
It doesn't matter if our world is falling apart. It doesn't matter if our world is falling away. We can still have joy. Because that joy comes from a risen, coming Christ. And let me say this too. Sometimes we get caught up in how do we know if somebody's spirit-filled? And I know we have some denominations that say, well, you can tell if somebody's spirit-filled by the tongue that they speak in. Or by how quickly they fall on the floor. Or how fast they can run around the pews. Or how high they can jump. Or how loud they can shout. Or how many scripture verses they can quote. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not how you measure a spirit-filled person. A spirit-filled person is measured in many ways, but one of them is they will have joy. They will have something inside of them that's so conspicuous and so contagious that other people see it and other people want it. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And as we see the coming of Jesus drawing near, may we have his joy. And may they see it. And may they want it. And may they ask us how we got it. And may we share with them Jesus. Be joyful. Rejoice every more, he says. But secondly, he says something else. Now we're talking about how you and I should be living. As we're watching for the return of Christ. He says, first of all, be joyful. But second of all, be prayerful. Pray without ceasing, verse 17. Now, the word prayer is a general word. That can speak of a lot of different kinds of prayers. There is a thanksgiving prayer. Where we tell God, thank you. For who you have made us to be. Thank you, Lord, for what you have given us to have. Thank you, Lord, for what you've allowed us to do. Everybody likes to be told thank you. And God does too. So sometimes our prayers can be prayers of thanksgiving, where we just say thank you, Lord. Sometimes our prayers can be confessional prayers. The Bible says if we will confess our sins, admit that we did those sins, do not blame anybody. Take responsibility. Take ownership for them. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all iniquity. And so sometimes our prayers are thanksgiving prayers. Other times they're confessional prayers. Lord, I'm sorry for what I thought. I'm sorry for what I felt. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm even sorry for this very lifestyle that I'm living. Sometimes our prayers are praise prayers. But we just praise him for who he is. Lord, I just want to praise you for being my creator, my savior, my Lord, my God, and my father who art in heaven. Sometimes our prayers are intercessory prayers. Well, we pray for other people. That's what we did this morning. We prayed for lost people. We prayed for sick people. We prayed for those who provide our security at home and abroad. Intercessory prayer, where we pray for others. We pray on their behalf. Sometimes our prayers are requests, where we bring things to the Lord, and we invite Him to come into those things. 
So you see the word prayer, it says praying without ceasing. It could be any of those prayers or all of those prayers. But notice it says that whatever the prayer is, whatever category or kind it is, we're to pray it without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that we spend 24 hours a day on our knees praying. It would be wonderful if we could, but that's not practical. What it does mean is we're in a constant state of prayer. We're constantly talking to the Lord. You've seen people talk to themselves, haven't you? We call them crazy. <laughs> well, you need to talk to the Lord. We call that spiritual. Because when you're talking about other people and they're not there, that doesn't matter. And every time you open your mouth or open your mind or heart and you pray, God hears everything. He can discern our thoughts. He can discern our thought, our feelings of our heart. And so we're, we're to pray continually, constantly being in a state of prayer as things are occurring around us. Now, I know sometimes we feel like our prayers are not very effective. As the coming of Jesus draws near, we ought to be praying more. But sadly to say, some of us are praying less. And I think there's some frustration among God's people about the subject of prayer. So allow me, if I may, just to share with you some prayer principles that might help you have a better prayer life as we await the coming of Jesus. First of all, your prayer life will benefit immensely if you have a specific time and place every day in which you pray. Did you listen to me? A specific time and a specific place each and every day where you go and you meet God and God meets you. If you're a morning person, it should be in the morning. If you're an evening person, it should be in the evening. Give the Lord the best time of your day. And you have to schedule it. I don't know about you, but if I don't schedule things, I don't do them. Life is so full and life is so fast that it's difficult to keep up with life anymore. There's always somebody to see, some place to go, something to do, some event to attend, and even more so as Christmas is approaching. But we don't want to leave Christ out of Christmas. We don't want to leave Christ out of any day of the year. So you have to have a specific time and a specific place that you go and get alone with Him. Make that place your holy ground and guard that time to the best of your ability. Schedule your prayer life. Secondly, pray with a plan. If you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Have a plan when you pray. Some people have a prayer book or a prayer journal. And what they do is, is they write down, this is what I'm going to pray for on Monday. This is what I'm going to pray for on Tuesday on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, every day of the week, there's a specific plan of how they're going to pray. Now, it doesn't mean that they're bound to that plan, but what it does mean, ladies and gentlemen, it's a guide for them to follow. You can certainly add things if you want to or subtract things if time allows, forces you to. But have a plan. Have a plan of how you're going to approach the Father and include all of the elements of prayer that we talked about earlier. 
thanksgiving and confession and praise and intercession and request. Include all of that in your daily plan of how you're going to maximize your time with God. And then pray with praise. You know, we're, we by nature, I think, as people tend to be a little critical and carping and tend to grizzle and gripe and complain and bellyache all the time. When you go to God, be a person of praise. Praise Him for who He is. Because who He is to you is what makes you who you are. Do you know that? If I know He's the Creator, what does that make me? It makes me a created being with plan and purpose. If I know that He's the Savior, that makes me a redeemed person with great value to Him. If I know that He's the Lord, it gives purpose to my life because it gives me something to live for, and that's my service to Him. If I know He's God, that makes me a worshiper. I'm a worshiper of the true and the living God. And if He's Father, and He is, that makes me a son. I'm a son of the living God. He's a king and I'm a prince. You see... Praise Him for who He is, because if you know who He is, you know who you are. Praise Him. Make your prayer time a praise time. Take out the belly aches and put in some hallelujahs. And then pray specifically. Pray, pray, pray with a schedule. Pray with a plan. Pray with praise. Pray specifically. Many of us pray such ambiguous, generalized prayers that it's a waste of our time. Instead of saying, Lord, I've got a bunch of needs, how about meet them? By the way, if that's how you pray, you'll never see anything met. Instead, why don't you come and say, Lord, I've got a light bill that needs to be paid on the 15th of this month. And Lord, I've been faithful in my tithing and giving to you. I've been faithful to pay all the debts and obligations I can pay with the income you provided. But Lord, I've got an outstanding light bill and it would not be a good testimony for me, a born-again Christian, not to be able to pay this debt. So Lord, I'm coming to you now in the name of Jesus and I'm lifting up this light bill to you and I'm asking somehow, some way for you to pay this bill for me. Either provide the funds for me or lead somebody else to do it. Lord, I won't tell you how to do your business. I'm just asking you to do it. And Lord, by the way, I thank you that it'll get done. Thank you. That's pretty specific, isn't it? And you know something? When that light get, bill gets paid, you have something specifically to thank him for and praise him for. So pray specifically. You know, we tend to pray in cliches. We tend to beat around the bush. We, we are ambiguous. We're generalized. We're afraid. We're timid. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace and make your petitions known. If my children wanted something growing up, they didn't come and beat around the bush. And neither does yours. They specifically ask. And when they specifically ask, we specifically consider and we specifically do what we can. And then lastly, as we pray, if this is helping you, I hope so. Pray using the scriptures. 
Because God answers his word. The best prayer request or prayer requests that tell God what he's already said, you just remind him. Let's go back to the illustration I just used. Lord, I've got a light bill that needs to be paid. Lord, I remind you, Lord. It was you who said, Lord, I didn't say this, you said it, Lord, that you would meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And Lord, I believe you're true, and I believe you can't lie. So I thank you that this light bill is going to get paid. That's pretty powerful praying, isn't it? Pray with a schedule. Pray with a plan. Pray with praise. Pray with specificness. And pray God's promises back to us. And I'm telling you what, it'll transform your prayer life. Thirdly, rejoice evermore. Be joyful when Jesus is coming. Pray without ceasing. Be prayerful that Jesus is coming. Verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful, he says. Be thankful and most of the things. Is that what it says? I'm just asking. And 99.5% of the things be thankful. When you feel like it, be thankful. When everything's going your way, be thankful. That isn't what it says, does it? It says in everything. What's everything mean? Everything. Thank you, Keith. In everything. When you're on the mountain, be thankful. When you're in the valley, be thankful. When times are good, be thankful. When times are bad, be thankful. When you're healthy, be thankful. When you're sick, be thankful. When you can pay your bills and got extra money, be thankful. When you can't pay no bills and have no money, be thankful. It doesn't say be thankful that these things are happening. It says just be thankful. Be thankful that there's somebody who's watched your back, who's got your back, who's got it under control. Because all things work together for the good. No matter how bad they are, they will work together for the good. For them that love the Lord and will continue to do what his purposes are. You say, Pastor, why should I be thankful for the bad things? I mean, how can somebody be thankful for that? Well, let me say it to you like this. Corey Ten Boom, many of you know her or know of her. Um, she was a prolific writer, great storyteller. And she, in one of her books and in many of her testimonies, she talks about the time that she spent in a Nazi concentration camp called Ravensbrück. Now, Nazi concentration camps were not holiday inns by any means. They were nasty, dirty places where people went to die. And she talks about her time in Ravensbrook. She talks about how she was hungry, how she was thirsty, how she was cold, how she was lonely, how she was afraid, how she was abused, how she was treated 
as an animal. All of this is terrible. But she said there was one thing that made life in Ravensbrook so unbearable. It wasn't the hunger. It wasn't the thirst. It wasn't the sickness. It wasn't the cold. It wasn't the loneliness. It wasn't seeing people die that you cared about before your eyes. It wasn't the abuse by those sadistic guards. It wasn't the profanity. It wasn't the vulgarity. She said the one thing that made life unbearable at Ravensbrook was fleas. The camp was infested with fleas. You could not get away from them. They were in your ears. They were in your nose. They were in your eyes. They were in your skin. Constantly biting you. Constantly aggravating you. There was no escape. From the time you got up to the time you went to bed and everything in between and everything afterwards, there were fleas. But she said, I gave thanks to God for fleas. She thanked God for the fleas. You know why? She said it was the fleas that drove her to her knees and built her relationship with God. The fleas did something for her that none of the other things could do. It drove her closer to God. And you know, you might be sitting here right now and wondering why something's going on in your life and God doesn't do something about it. Because maybe that's God's fleas for you. To drive you to your knees and drive you to Him. God knows exactly what that thing is. Your fleas may be different than hers, and hers might be different than mine, and mine might be different than yours. But I promise you we are to give thanks in all things because sometimes the things that we think are the most unthankful are the things that are driving us to a closer walk with Him. And then lastly, in closing, Paul says when you... See the coming of Jesus drawing near. When you believe that it could happen in any moment, make sure that you're joyful because it's a witness to the people who are not joyful. Make sure that you are prayerful because prayer changes things and it changes others and it changes you. Be thankful because what you're thankful for is an expression to God that He is in control of your life and all things are going to work together for the good for you. Even if at the moment it's, you feel like it's torment, that might be what's bringing you to a closer walk with Him. And then lastly, verse 19. He says, be spirit-filled. Be a light. Notice he says, quench not the spirit. Now that word quench is an interesting word. It means don't throw water on the fire. The Holy Spirit in the Bible is often referred to as a fire. And what Paul is saying to the Christians then and to what you and I now is this. He said, don't throw water on the fire of the Spirit of God that is burning in the furnace called your soul. Let that fire burn high. Let that fire burn bright. 
Let that fire burn warm. Let that fire burn far. Don't let anything, including yourself, throw any cold water on that fire. Because there's a world out there that's low. There's a world out there in darkness. There's a world out there that's cold. There's a world out there that can't see anything. And they need to see a fire burning in you. That fire needs to be the Spirit of God burning in you for Jesus. The world doesn't know what to do with the fire of the Spirit of God burning in a Christian. Say, Pastor, how can I stoke that fire? How can I make it get higher? How can I make it be brighter? How can I make it be warmer? How can I make it go farther? By keeping yourself clean. Confess your sins each and every day. Keep short accounts with God. Be obedient. What he says is what you're to do. Don't argue with God. Don't try to make excuses. Just do what he says. Be diligent to carry out the basics of Christianity. Everybody's always looking for some new fad to follow. Listen, you don't build football teams with fads and you don't build Christian lives with fads. You've just got to be diligent to do the basics, the fundamentals. Make sure you're reading your Bible every day. Make sure you're praying every day. Make sure you're sharing your faith when opportunity comes. Make sure you've got a place of service in the church. Make sure you're supporting the church with your gifts and your monies. Those are just basic things, but most people don't do them. But if you will do those things, ladies and gentlemen, it's like tossing coal into the furnace. It fires you up. And that fire then has an impact on everything around you. But you don't quench the fire. You quench the fire by doing the exact opposite, what I just said. You have unconfessed sin in your life and you won't deal with it. You're disobedient to what God is saying for you to do. You refuse to do the fundamentals. As the coming of Jesus draws near, God's people need to be a sore thumb that stick out and everybody sees. We need to be on fire for Him. The furnace, the flames need to be shooting high and far and bright and warm. In closing, are you a flashlight or are you a lighthouse? Now, they both give light, don't they? They both have the ability, I suppose, to give warmth. But if you have a flashlight, it's basically for who? If I have a flashlight, you can follow me, perhaps. You might even get a little heat off of it if it's hot enough. But basically, a flashlight is for me. It allows me to see where I'm going. It's my light. It allows me to get whatever warmth is coming in my hand. It allows me to see what lies ahead. Many Christians today are nothing but flashlights. Oh, it's fine for them. But their light is not making any difference for anybody else. You're going to heaven but nobody's following you. We're to be lighthouses, ladies and gentlemen. We're to be standing tall 
We're to be standing strong. We're to have our light so bright, so hot, burning so high, burning so far that nobody can't but help to see it. And as the lighthouse is standing, people are being drawn. Drawn to safety from the storms of life. The day for being flashlights is over. God raised us up to be lighthouses. That not only will we go to heaven, but others will follow us. Because they've seen the way through us. Heads are bowed, Mike.